Welcome back, Literary Slummers, to another episode of Shelf Aware, the podcast where we are delving into books outside of our comfort zones. I'm Anna. And I'm Em. This week on Shelf Aware, we are reading the second book in our uh, listener-submitted unit on books with plays in them, I guess. I'm trying to think of a concise way to... It was like books with plays where the play comes to life in some way. Okay. I think. It's like an abridged version. Which was... uh, submitted to us by Elliot. Thank you again, Elliot. Elliot's um, awesome. The book he suggested for our second foray into this subject matter, I guess, mm-hmm. was Susan Cooper's King of Shadows. Yes. Um, the funny thing about this was as soon as I started reading it, I realized this was one of my favorite books as a kid, and I'd completely forgotten about it. That's so funny. I know, because it's, <laughs> it is, in hindsight, very funny that I like this book so much. But it's one of those books where, like, There's like one or two little details in it that stick in your mind forever and Mm -hmm. you don't know where you learned those facts. So the fact where he's talking about how people in the U.S., people in the southern United States, their accent is more similar to what Elizabethan English accents would be, supposedly. Um, That, I don't know why, but that always stuck in my mind as a fact. (laughs) And so (laughs) credit Susan Cooper for making me remember that for my entire life. I was trying to think if I had read this as a kid because I recognized the author. Have you seen the OG cover? Because it is pretty distinct. No, I haven't. Let me pull I don't I don't you. think I read this as a kid. I was trying to remember like going into it if I had because I recognized the author's name, mm-hmm. but I think that's from like other books of hers that I'd seen around, I don't think I'd actually read anything I'd, by her. Based on the cover, I think A, you would remember it, and B, I don't know if you would have picked this one up just based on the cover. Let me take a look. I'm going to send it to you. Oh, nope. I don't want to screen share. Get, oh my god, Skype. How do Is I... it the one with the smoke boy? Smoke boy. <laughs> it just says <laughs> to you on Skype. Is it the one? I'm looking at the Amazon results, or the, the Google results right mm. now. And there's a lot I of mean, really good covers for they're this. They're clouds. It is kind of Smoke Boy. Like, he's divided by the clouds. Okay, the one with the skateboard? Yeah, where he's got a skateboard a on one. top and, like, that stereotypical ruffle. Rough. Yeah, Shakespearean mm-hmm. ruffle thing going on. Um, it it's... looks like a sports book, doesn't it? <laughs> it does kind of look like it might be a sports book. It also has very, um, which I guess kind of is the case for the book, but it has very uh, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, although I don't think there's a, not a sh- skateboard in that one, but like it's that sort of <laughs> I think vibe. the movie, or not it, the movie version, the kid in King Arthur's Court. Mm-hmm, yeah. There was a lot of skateboarding in the movie. <laughs> but yeah, so did, did you, so you read it as a kid. I did, I loved it as a kid. How did it hold up then? Bad. <laughs> and only for one reason, because I think, and you and I texted about this, um, yes, because we he, there were a lot of questions. Um, <laughs> there seems to be some sort of. <laughs> I feel stupid saying this, but it can't be anything else. Like I, as a thirty-year-old woman reading this book, I was like William Shakespeare and this young boy who has no given age in the book like are they developing romantic feelings for each other (laughs) 
Okay, okay. And okay. I could not get past okay. that. I'm sorry. Like, that just is, was not a father-son relationship to me. I think it was meant to be a father-son relationship. Mm, it just That's how they marketed it. Super didn't come across that it way. It did not come across that way at all. And maybe it's just because I'm trying to, like, give it the benefit of the doubt and, like, I guess but figure why? out <laughs> That's not why? our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I think... Maybe we are a little poisoned by fanfic here. A little bit like, I mean, like, <laughs> we're me, just perverts. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, no. I'm saying that a lot of the things in this book came across as like tropes that are very prevalent in true. fan fiction and also in another genre of literature that I've been reading a lot of lately, which is Regency romance. <laughs> there was a lot of that vibe in it. And I don't, I want to give Cooper the benefit of the doubt here and say that like, if she was writing this in the nineties for a audience of children, she perhaps was not aware of these tropes or assumed that her audience would not be aware of these tropes Could and be. didn't intend for they it to might come not across yet. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> just, I feel like, you know, now that we're living through our own global pandemic in 2020, mm -hmm. that during mm -hmm. the, the bubonic plague in 1599, would there have been as much hugging and kissing as occurred between Shakespeare and Nathan? <laughs> I don't know if they knew about social distancing in 1599, so they probably, because they didn't know about germs then, right? So That's they probably, true, they were just throwing their shit out windows. Right, right. So they were probably fine with that. And I mean, like, <laughs> I think we've talked about before how, like, the fact that women weren't considered real people kind of made the relationships between men yeah. skew a little more romantic to a modern eye. Um but also he is a child. <laughs> yes. And there is also like this weird, like, <laughs> William Shakespeare's like, you don't belong to me, but come back when you're an adult and I'll have you for the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, I cannot. It was just, if the problem that I had with this book, it like you said, they don't give Nat an age. Yes. So And so, like... I was picturing 12. If, I mean, this is a middle grade book, right? Yes. And he's, like... I think he says something about how he just got to junior high school or something. Okay. So, like, there's that. But if you ignore all of that and just pretend he's, like, 20, this would have been a good romance. I would have been mad that they didn't fuck. I know. But it's, like, <laughs> you definitely don't want that because he's a 12-year-old. <laughs> so there's a lot of conflicting emotions. Yeah. 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 This was a weird one to read. I mean, I still, there were a lot, I still appreciated about it. And yes, I was mm -hmm. like viewing it through the nostalgia glasses as soon as I realized what I was reading. Sure. But I liked, I liked that Susan Cooper doesn't really talk down to her audience. I felt yeah, like I, I it was a too. very just natural, like conversational style of writing. Cause I feel like middle grade, a lot of the time has the tendency to just really dumb things down and hammer things mm -hmm. home. And this book, it was, it just presented everything and didn't try and hold your hand through it. And I like that. I felt, putting aside the romantic relationship between <laughs> Shakespeare and Matt, putting if all that can. aside. If we can. Um, 
I have a lot of conflicted feelings about if I like this book or not, just because I I, I agree. I like her style as like a middle grade mm-hmm. writer. Um, I think she was pretty well lauded in the 90s and yes. I can see why. I just had some issue with the subject matter and the setup. The setup being that this is a book about a troop of young boy actors and a that's company like, of boys a company of boys <laughs> and it's like so like by nature there's like one girl character in this whole book which i kind of hated yeah and then true story i also just disliked i think i've talked about this before on the podcast i was a high school theater nerd and there's just so much of this that i was like oh god yeah yeah cringe yeah roper like, specifically <laughs> Uh, Roper, more so just, like, the whole everybody being to Nat, like, you're a great actor, and you should never give this up, Nathaniel. And it's, like, he's 12. He's probably fine, but he's, like, not that good. It reminded me a lot of, like, being in theater in high school and, like, certain guys that I was in theater with who were, like, I'm going to Los Angeles to become an actor. And I'm, like, (laughs) you can't even get iambic pentameter right. I don't know what you think is going to happen. Like, I was thinking, like, the individual personalities are just, like... Nah, it's just more the vibe of theater kids. (laughs) I was always kind of on the outside of that. um, Like, I did theater a lot in middle school, but then in high school, like, my most... The most I ever contributed to the scene was um I did the the musical orchestra pit and then mm-hmm. I wrote a play and directed it and had it performed and stuff but like I wasn't really in the thick of things so I feel like maybe yeah. you have a little bit more um insight <laughs> and we actually did because this this uh book is about the production of specifically Midsummer Night's Dream yeah and that was my senior uh play and I was Titania in that. Well, along the lines of you being more familiar with Midsummer Night's Dream, why don't you do uh, like a three sentence summary of the play? Okay, sure. For our listeners who have no familiarity with Shakespeare. It's kind of hard because it's one of the the comedies mm-hmm. which generally have a bit uh, more There's a lot of more side characters. Yeah, there's yeah. like moving pieces. Um, but essentially there's three sentences okay okay fuck um (laughs) there's a bunch of fairies in a forest and they're all quibbling about stuff and they rope a bunch of humans into their shenanigans including turning one of the humans into a guy with a donkey head and making the queen of the fairies fall in love with him and then also good joke (laughs) and then also a bunch of uh horny teenagers essentially who are (laughs) wandering through the forest for various reasons I'll get love struck in ways that are inconvenient, um, but everything gets sorted out by the end. Good, good, good. <laughs> I mean, I think that was actually one very long run-on sentence. <laughs> That's There's all right. There's a bunch of other stuff going on as well, but whatever. You can add pauses in post. <laughs> <laughs> I Midsummer night's dream is one of the few that i still enjoy (laughs) that sounds bad to say but i'm kind of like a little bit over shakespeare personally i mean i yeah but i think it's also probably one of the most like not adapted in like terms like i can't think of really any midsummer night's dream like movies or book retellings i guess but i can think of like a lot of 
um, like Disney Channel shows or like kind of teen oriented shows where the cast or the 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 kids are putting on Midsummer Night's Dream, right? Like I feel like it gets a lot of um I think because there's a lot of like kissing and like various <laughs> people falling in love with the wrong person, it works as like a good way for Zach and Cody or whatever to like have <laughs> trauma. <laughs> you know? Um so I feel like it gets it it gets not like retold the way that like Romeo and Juliet does, mm-hmm. but it gets co-opted a lot, I think. I think that's fair to say. Kind of in the way that this book co-ops it, where it's the Yes. Where it's the background of whatever is yes. happening. Although this book does not focus on the kissing as much. It is more focused on the fairy plot line. I mean, there could have been kissing. There could have been kissing. There was some weird tension. It was again, weird. again, the the whole premise of this. There was so much where it's setting up. Yeah, and they're setting up like because usually that's the thing, right? Of like, if you're in a book or a TV show where the characters are putting on a play, the play that they're putting on somehow mirrors what's going on in their own life, right? Yes. And they have it set up so that I know we have not explained this book at we all. We will. We'll I'm get there sorry. eventually. <laughs> it's very simple. But like, Nat is cast as Puck. And once he gets to Shakespeare times, he's playing opposite Shakespeare as Oberon, right? Mm -hmm. Which, like, that would make sense if, like, Oberon and Puck have, like, a father-son relationship in the play, but they super don't. Like, most modern productions, I feel like, do make Puck kind of just indiscriminately horny for everyone. (laughs) That's what translates to mischievous. Right. Like, so I feel like if anything, there's like sexual tension with Oberon or it's just like a straight master servant dichotomy. It's not like a father son thing. So it was weird to me that that was like the play that they were doing and the parts that they were given, you know? Although I'm trying to think if there is like a father son dynamic. Hamlet. Oh, yeah, so good. I guess. That would have been good. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I guess we should do the summary then. Yeah, let's <laughs> talk about the book. talked enough around this book for 20 minutes now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Nat Nathan Field is a young boy of an undetermined age from South Carolina <laughs> who has been chosen to be part of a company of boys, <laughs> which is a theater troupe. Dedicated to recreating Shakespeare's plays as Shakespeare would have done them. And the company Okay, is- okay, okay. But no. But also because no. this whole okay. This whole <laughs> setup was so stupid because they're like, oh, we have a wealthy benefactor who I thought was gonna turn up to be Shakespeare, but Me too. I thought alert, it was just like no. money was passed down through the years. <laughs> right. Um Shakespeare is immortal. Um, <laughs> but like, it's this guy who is funding this company of boys to perform Shakespeare as Shakespeare intended it, which is to say no women. Women are not allowed to be part of this. So, like, that's a really, really, really fucked up thing for a multi-millionaire to do, just in yeah. general. But then specifically to have it be young boys, because that's not how Shakespeare put on his place. <laughs> Lots of young, of- <laughs> young nubile boys dressed up as women. Like, the dressing up as women thing I would get, it, yeah. it would make sense to me if this was just a theater troupe that was like, 
we're a historically accurate Shakespeare theater troupe, so we don't hire women. We hire like young guys to play the women's parts, but then we have a like adult men. But then that would get into some real creepy territory when they did have to have adult men kissing the teenage boys. Yeah, maybe so, like, they were like, let's just cap it at 18 because no one's legal. <laughs> <laughs> the idea that someone would be like, I really want Shakespeare's plays to be performed in a historically accurate way, by which I mean no women, but also no adults. Yes, like, that's performed by anything. people who arguably aren't that great at acting. Right, except that they're all super good at acting. They're all the best. They're the best boys of the nation at acting. <laughs> oh, and also, yeah, that he's like, I want them to be historically accurate young boys, but also Americans. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna go to London to do this. It has to be in the US. American boys performing. <laughs> historically accurate. Like what are you Wet talking about? American Shakespearean company. <laughs> what fucking weird ass fetish is this? No kink shaming, but yes kink shaming in this specific instance. <laughs> well, the person who to blame for all of this is the director named RB, which those are his initials, and I'll tell you what it stands for later. Mm. Um but the book spells it like Arby's got the meats. So he's he's kind of an asshole. No one really likes to work with him. But Nat will be playing the role of Puck in Midsummer Night's Dream, as we've discussed. And also the role of, like, boy number 12 in Julius Caesar, which yeah. they keep bringing up. How do you and I don't get know such why an they... important role in one play and then, like, a no role in the other? I mean, I get it because it would be like you wouldn't want to learn too many lines. But why did they have that conceit in the first place of that they are doing two plays? Yeah, why not just do Why one? not just be like we're doing the one play? They never even mention the other one, like, be it being performed or practiced or rehearsed or anything. It's only Midsummer. They bring it up at the very end to be like, oh... Nat got kicked out of that one because of his illness or whatever, so he could focus on the other one. It's like, why did we have that one in the first place? <laughs> Just get rid of it. God. <laughs> so, Arby's taking all these boys across the pond to London to perform at the Globe, which is a re- recreation of the original Globe theater. And one day after rehearsal, Nat comes down with a fever, and he goes, he's staying with a foster family for the duration of their play experience. And he goes to bed sick. And when he wakes up, he's been transported to the year 1599, London, England. London town. London town. (laughs) He has traded places with another boy from 1599, also named Nat Field, who has the bubonic plague, which is kind of a subplot in this book. But... Basically, he's cured because of modern medicine. Yay. (laughs) Yeah, the structure of this book is weird, too, because, like, there will occasionally be a chapter. It's mainly in first person, but there will occasionally be an entire chapter in italics that is told from third person where it's, like, either Nat had a dream that he was in Shakespeare times and he woke up and he was. Or it's, like, Nat is sick in the hospital. Other Nat, Shakespeare Nat, is sick in the the hospital. Bonic he has the plague and you know like it it was weird and kind of jarring and i feel like there was probably a better way to do that yeah <laughs> i don't know i would i would have loved a whole half of a book from the other nat field like waking up and being like what devilry is this or just like 
not had that at all and had Nat go back to his own time and have everybody be like, oh, hey, you had the bubonic plague, by the way. <laughs> like, we didn't need to get the weird interspersed viewpoints, I don't think. No, because that's the whole reason, Em. Right, but then that would be a better tech. reveal of the reason. <laughs> like, if they were like, it is oh, you had the bubonic reveal. plague and Nat's like, oh, I get it now. I understand all of it. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad. That's not what you got. <laughs> You're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for dreaming of more. <laughs> so modern Nat is awoken from his straw mattress on the floor by a boy named Harry. And Harry is the apprentice of Richard Burbage, who is a famous actor from the time period, actually, in real life. And um, Nat is staying with him as he is on loan from St. Paul's Boys, which is a fancy pants school for fancy pants lads. <laughs> um, and guess what? He is on loan because Shakespeare wants him to play Puck in Midsummer Night's Dream. So that's really convenient. He didn't have to learn any new lines. So they all head to the theater, the Globe, the OG Globe. And guess what? Shakespeare's there and he's going to play the role of Oberon. 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 It's O'Baron. Oh, damn it. It's the only one I didn't. <laughs> O'Baron. The younger boys. Abirin. <laughs> Oberon. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why are like half our jokes on this podcast just us mispronouncing things? <laughs> Oh, you mean like how they have to cross the River Thomas to get there? <laughs> oh, Jesus. So all the all the little apprentice boys um, all have some classes together early in the day, every day. And Nat quickly makes an enemy of this stupid brat kid named Roper, who is just threatened by how perfect and awesome Nat is at tumbling and acting. He's so good at tumbling and acting. He's like, just just give him every Oscar now. Because... But not singing. He's not good at singing. Oh, yeah. He's not good at singing and he's not good at sword fighting. Which was a thing that was brought up at the beginning of this book when it was like he was recounting how Arby had like scouted him, I guess. And Arby was like, I'm getting together a team, a crew of boys, and they're all good at acting, singing, and tumbling. I want you to join my crew. <laughs> And that was like, I'm not good at singing, though. And Arby's like, that's okay. You're good at the other two. It's like, also, though, why would he need them to be good at singing? He's doing Shakespeare. He's not doing musicals. (laughs) Like, there's occasionally a song in a Shakespeare play, but it's not like you have to be a particularly good singer for it. Yeah. Just Uh, just be loud. Just seemed like a weird qualification to, again, much like the Julius Caesar thing, bring up and then have absolutely no import on the plot. Yeah, yeah. It was an unnecessary detail. (laughs) Perfect Nat. He and Roper, they hate each other for most of the book. And then Nat saves his life by performing the Heimlich maneuver on Roper while Roper's choking on a piece of apple like a stupid shit. And then everyone (laughs) thinks that Nat is a white witch after that. But also, that doesn't have anything to do with the plot. Oh, yeah, no way. (laughs) It's just, just like, brought up and alluded to a few times, but it's not, like, like, I thought that, I don't know, the climax of this was going to be a bunch of... Burned at the stake. 
yeah, something. And then he switches back or something like that. I don't know. But no, it's just like, they're like, oh, yeah, I guess you're a witch. <laughs> yeah, Maybe? and they all make, like, the sign of the devil at him to warn him Yeah, away. which, like, made it seem like they were going to get more antagonistic towards him or something. But no, no, they revered him even more for his perfect tumbling <laughs> and acting and healing. And witchcraft. <laughs> witchcraft. So, as we've discussed at length, William Shakespeare is kind of enamored with Nat and his acting. He calls him his aerial sprite. Gross. <laughs> Just absolutely yeah, perverse. As, as far as pet names go, that's not a great one. It's not good. I mean, I get why yeah. he's doing it in the sense of like the book, because it's like In oh. the sense of we live in 2020, so we <laughs> We know we know what plays Shakespeare wrote and yeah. like what the, the punchline is gonna be here, but like in terms of it being a pet name for a twelve year old boy, it's weird. <laughs> and this is the part in my notes where I wrote it's supposed to be a father-son relationship, but is it with eight question marks? <laughs> I made it far less far into the book before texting you and being like, what is going on with this <laughs> whole situation? They love each other. They are very horny for one another, which is unfortunate. They are they are separated by age and time. And just the fact that Shakespeare is also Married. an intolerable tool in this book. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, basically, anytime Nat comes to him with an issue or, like, a concern, Shakespeare's like, well, my boy, let me tell you of the poem I wrote. And then we'll, like, recite one of his poems. Sonics. And it's like, this is terrible. Like, again, as... I wrote as this for myself, but sure, apply it to your situation. Right. As Nat, like... This would be amazing, right? To have like Shakespeare recite his own poems to you. But like Shakespeare does not know Nat is from the future in a time when Shakespeare is very well known and popular. So this is essentially the equivalent of like going on a date with a dude and him being like, let me tell you the thing I wrote for creative writing class. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Will you just take a look at my manuscript? Like nobody cares. (laughs) It's only impressive in hindsight of 400 years. It wouldn't be impressive in the moment. So it's exactly. just this really douchey guy. Tell he's like, he's like, it's the equivalent of pulling out your acoustic guitar at a party. Yes! And making everyone sit in a circle and listen to you play Wonderwall over and yes. over. Yes, except if you had written Wonderwall and it, like nobody knew what it was yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, here's Sonnet 14. <laughs> And also, he does do this to Nat and is like, here, apply this, like, poem about romantic love to your relationship with me and also your father. And it's like, okay. Because uh, this is the thing the book keeps doing. Is, is being like, love is love. And there's, like, love between a man and a woman and love between a father and a son. And they're both just love. And I'm like, okay. Yes, but also very much no. Also, <laughs> maybe... Very- there's love between a man and a boy. <laughs> but there shouldn't be. There shouldn't it's be. Inappropriate. But there are all kinds of love. <laughs> also, also, I was made very uncomfortable by this book and how much Shakespeare was like putting Nat on a pedestal and being like, you are a perfect boy who yep. is perfect and wonderful. And I will You're remember not like for... other boys your age, Nat. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I will remember you for all time and memorialize you in my work, which is spoiler alert what happens. Mm-hmm. When like 
he also just had his actual literal son die. Like, why don't you care more about that kid? Because <laughs> he cannot act. <laughs> uh, so during one of their one-on-one rehearsals that William and Nat have quite a bit, uh, <laughs> Nat breaks down and reveals to old Willie that his mother died of cancer when he was very young and his father was real broken up about it and then committed suicide a few years later and Nat was the one that found him. So that's very sad. <laughs> it also was very... um tonally different I felt like from the rest of the book where it mm. was like here is a very serious not not that the rest of the book wasn't serious because like it was not dealing with it but it was like a graphic description of it mm-hmm. and I was kind of like okay but like this 12 year old also like won't cuss in the rest of the book so I don't know who this book is written for now because I'm like there's like no acknowledgement of i guess like any more adult themes like sexuality or like language you know anything like that but there is a graphic description of a suicide in there kind of like hatchet like there's like this weird disconnect where it's like i guess kids are just cool with suicide i don't know i I don't know man (laughs) it's like it just seems like one of those weird like morality filters like suicide okay sex no way right we're going to pretend so hard that sexuality doesn't exist that we're not going to acknowledge this the weird sexual charge to this weird relationship. Oh, we're going to yeah. pretend it's totally normal and fine. But we are going to like give a graphic description of his father's suicide that he discovered. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's even weirder when William Shakespeare like comforts Nat and then he's like, hey, want to move in with me? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I just don't, I don't, I'm trying to, again, I get that it was the 90s and we were kind of pretending like gay people didn't exist, but like, I don't understand how any editor could have read this and been like, yo, Coops, this is fucking weird. (laughs) They need a better chaperone than the housewoman. Yeah. And the housekeeper. Like, it's uncomfortable for me because I'm like, I don't want to, like, sexualize this, like, innocent relationship or whatever. But it's like... But it's not. It's a bad template for... It's normalizing something that shouldn't be normalized. I think the thing is that, like, having a father-son relationship between characters needs more grounding in it than having, like, a sexual relationship between characters, Mm -hmm. right? Like... Because you could see someone and be like instantly like, oh, I'm attracted to that person. And then that's the jumping off point. And you don't have to know them for that long for me to buy that they would develop romantic interest. Nat like walks into Shakespeare land and is immediately like father smitten with Shakespeare. And Shakespeare is like (laughs) immediately son smitten with him. So it's like that doesn't make sense. There's no like there's no mentorship here. There's no like growing pains of any sort. It's just like an immediate attraction between two people that, yeah, like you said, that we normally associate that with romantic feelings as opposed to familial ones. And like the stuff that Nat is attracted to with Shakespeare is not like, it's his sexy voice. It's his sexy voice. He's not like, Oh, he cares so much about the apprentices and he's like taking good care of everybody and is behaving in a fatherly manner. He's like, 
damn, his voice is so hot, though. Like, it's it's so weird. Chills, and I like when he hugs me. (laughs) It's just very bizarre. It is. It is extremely strange. But also, and I don't remember exactly when the book mentions this, but it is revealed eventually that they're putting on Midsummer Night's Dream at the Queen's request because Mm -hmm. she secretly wants to visit the theater, the New Globe Theater, to watch it. Um, She just loves Midsummer Night's Dream. She loves it. She's she's just got such a hard on for Midsummer Night's Dream that she will risk her very life to go watch it. (laughs) Whatever. So they perform the play. And it goes well. And everyone loves it, especially the queen who requests an audience with Willie, Burbage, and Nat. And she's like, good job. (laughs) And then there's like also, again, I get different times and whatever, but like there's this weird vibe with Elizabeth where she's like, "Mm, Nat, you were such a pretty boy. Tell your friend who played Hippolyta that he was also a pretty boy. Like, why do you keep... Yeah, would you like to come look for me, pretty boy? Come come to me, my pretty boy. Would and it's like, like why, page, pretty boy? why is that the thing that she's bringing up? Why is she not like, oh, you did a good job with the acting? Yeah, why let me she... give you a fellowship for acting now. Or I, I could even be like, okay, I could see her being like, you're, I liked your acting. You've got that weird accent that I think is interesting. You want to come be a page. Like, I'd be okay with that. Except that she keeps calling everybody a pretty boy. I'm Such like, pretty boys. Such pretty boys. Like, why are you <laughs> doing this? And then I love how the author is also like, this haggard bitch. She's got wrinkles. She's got nasty teeth. Her breath stinks. Like... <laughs> I get that it's kind of like a historical thing of like, oh, you know, we don't think about how gross olden times were, but she definitely doesn't do it to that extent with any of the old dude characters. Nope, just the woman. (laughs) (laughs) After, After the queen's accolades, then everyone goes out to get drunk, and on their way home, Willie's like, hey, it was cool knowing you, Nat, but you're going back to St. Paul's tomorrow, and I will miss thee. And Nat is like... No, I want to stay with you forever, William, because I love you. Let me act in your company forever. And then William's like, nah, you're just on loan, but don't forget me. And I will have you back when you're old enough because I love you too. Which like, okay, this also brought up another issue that I had with this book aside from the rampant pedophilia thing. Matt, and this weirdly is another parallel with Hatchet and the other uh, Robinson Crusoe, the survival novels, the Robinson Aids that we were reading. Um, Matt ends up displaced to this time and he's just so fucking chill about it. He's like, oh, guess I live in Shakespeare times now. Guess yep. this is my life. And then like, he's like begging Shakespeare to come more. I'm like, you already got yoinked out of time once. I would not be making plans. I would not be like, <laughs> I'm pretty it sure this is- again at any time. Right. Like you need to, you need to address this. And I think it's about 75% of the way through the book before he's even like, huh, I wonder why exactly this happened. I know. Yes. He's just so, he's just so, I'm going to go with the flow, man. I'm starstruck and slightly in love with William Shakespeare. Um, And he's letting me perform for him. So, you know, I've got my basic needs met. (laughs) (laughs) 
Like, there are some mentions of he's like, oh, I wish I could brush my teeth. And everyone's drinking ale all the time. But he's never like, wow, I, I need to get a message to my aunt to let her know I'm not dead. He has yes. no idea that another boy's been transported in his place. I think he does kind of suss that out just because he's like, well, he's not here, so he's got to be somewhere. But that's also a pretty wild assumption to lead yeah. to. I'd probably be like... Maybe I have been this dude all this time. Maybe I dreamed all the future stuff. What a wild fever dream. Right? But, like, like there there are things he could have done. Like, the Nat Field from Shakespeare time has a cousin or, like, a f- relative that he knows of who he could have gone to and been like, yo, what the fuck is up? Do you know what's up? Or he could have, like, the, all the other kids are like, Ooh, you're a witch. You're a witch. He could have been like, oh, wait, so there are witches? Let me follow that thread. Let me go talk to a witch, someone who knows about magic, because clearly there is some magic shenanigans going on here. But he's just like, oh, well, this is my life, I guess. I'll just be in Shakespeare times. Yeah, this is this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to walk the boards. I'm very good at tumbling. Life. This is fine. I also like how he, he there's like a mention in the book where he's like, I don't know how long I can last before I try to improve everybody's life. But, oh, well, I'm just a kid. What could I do anyway? Probably a lot. I a mean, lot. like, I don't know if you know this yet. I don't know if you've gotten to this class or to this like chapter in your junior high biology book, but you could maybe tell someone about penicillin. That might be helpful to these people. I mean, I think definitely boiling water. Like, here's what I would have done in Nat's place if mm-hmm. everyone's like, oh, he's a white witch. I've been like, listen to me, non-magical people. <laughs> Let me tell you the ways of washing your hands and covering your mouth when you sneeze. I know that you guys don't understand germs. There are evil spirits mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are causing the bubonic plague. And, and leeches aren't doing shit. Wash your hands before touching one another. <laughs> Everyone stands six feet apart. That will scare the evil spirits away. They don't just, it's holy water. That's fine. Just make sure you include soap with it. (laughs) I will be marketing my official Nat's holy soap to go along with the holy water. (laughs) (laughs) So that night, Nat is transported back to his regular time period and the other Nat Field goes back to his and presumably never speaks to Shakespeare again, which is really shitty for Shakespeare. He, like, gets to hear about all these things Nat Field does for the rest of his life and is like, why won't my Nathan come back to me? My just, sweet aerial sprite. Just got hardcore ghosted. So, regular Nat has a hard time readjusting to performing the play in modern times and he's kind of being a little asshole and get yelling at everybody about how everything's wrong this is not how Shakespeare would have done it and he eventually gets into an argument with Arby the director and he runs away and he's followed by the modern day actor who is playing O'Baron and a vocal coach both of which he was like pretty friendly with and he explains to them how he has traveled through time and they're just like wow I immediately believe you. No explanation necessary. Not skeptical at all. This was a legit thing that happened to you. We are adults, but we believe you. They go to look up olden times Nat Field in Arby's library. And there are some books about how he became a pretty well-known actor. And then he did eventually go back to play with Shakespeare's company, but only after Shakespeare died. And he also bought Shakespeare's shares in the theater or something. So, like, there's a vague connection, but... 
Nat's like real bummed out about all of this because he's still he's like carrying that torch for William. And then there I don't know. Then some shit happens and he's he and Arby have this discussion alone together and he's like, hi, I may or may not be Richard Burbage from the past because that's what my initials RB stand for. And it was basically my mission to recruit you to act for us because I knew you would get sent back in time. And the reason that my mysterious benefactor paid for me to do this was because we knew that the Nat Field, I don't, somehow we knew, the Nat Field that was in Shakespeare's time had the bubonic plague. And we couldn't give less of a shit about him, but we didn't want Shakespeare to die of the plague by coming in contact with him. So we brought that Nat Field to the future to cure him. And also, Shakespeare never forgot you, and he actually wrote a part for you in his play, The Tempest, but, like, just imagine him pining you for the rest of his life. LOL. (laughs) Anyway, come be in my play next year. The end. (laughs) Okay. I would assume that Shakespeare and Burbage in Shakespeare's time figured out that their Nat Field was not Nat Field of that time, right? Mm -hmm. Because... He became like, a, and he's, I guess, a real historical they person. They probably saw a picture of him or something. They probably saw a picture of him. He was like an actor and they probably had the ability to see him at some point. And maybe they ran in, uh, into each other at a party and he was like, oh, this isn't the same guy. He, so, they tried to kiss and Nat was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> even Nat, in, <laughs> Nat, present Nat, when they go and look at the picture, they're like, oh, this dude looks absolutely nothing like me. Yeah. So yeah. like, I don't think Shakespeare was like in his... In his room being like, why won't my boyfriend text me back? (laughs) Because I think they figured out probably that, like, not the same dude. And they were probably like, When they went up to St. Paul's to retrieve him because Shakespeare realized he couldn't live without him. Yes. And then it was like, oh, who was that mysterious Nat who was Puck? Oh, I guess it... Probably they were like, he probably was a fairy for real or something like that, you know? (laughs) He was the real Puck. Yeah. I think that's probably where they landed. And then... And but I then, don't... So who is the mysterious benefactor, one? And two, is this... So are you saying there are two different Richard Burbages or just one? I'm and saying... And the name is passed down. I think... I think the way... This book makes no sense. But I think the way I'm headcanoning it uh-huh. is that Richard Burbage is... Is is a witch? Uh-huh. <laughs> Becomes a witch. <laughs> okay, so we've got three different timelines here, right? Okay. I okay. No. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. So there is. We're really delving into like alternate universes and stuff. I think that uh-huh. there is the universe in which Shakespeare lives and is happy and fine. And then I think there is an alternate universe in which Shakespeare got the bubonic plague and died. And so the Richard Burbage from that universe somehow figured out how to time jump into like appropriate Ah. bodies. So there is a different Richard Burbage in the present, but he's like time hopping with him over many periods of time. I'm picturing this somewhat like the the movie Your Name. I don't know if you've seen that, but like where they leave each other messages and stuff when they switch mm. bodies. Like, so like the he, lake house. Yes, but Your Name is a good movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> highly recommend. But there's like body switching in that. Anyway. Is so it like, a Nicholas Sparks movie? <laughs> no, it's a... It's a uh, um, Isn't oh, the lake is, house a Nicholas Sparks book? 
no, we've had this discussion before. The lighthouse was not written by Nicholas Sparks, but it is a capital N S M Nicholas Sparks movie. Yes, yes. So, yes. Um, (laughs) Anyway, point being, there's two timelines. So the timeline that Nat goes to, that Richard Burbage does not know about the time hopping stuff because he never has to learn it because Shakespeare doesn't Mm. die. So... The Richard Burbage that switches bodies with present-day Richard Babbage <laughs> is like... Babbage. They, they both know about it because they've le- left each other messages and stuff so that they can, like, make this happen. But they aren't the same person, much as in the okay. way that Nat Field and Nathaniel Field are not the same person. I can buy that. So that's how I think it works. I think that the mysterious benefactor i thought it was going to be shakespeare but i don't think that makes any sense with the rest of that so i think that probably it's just like some rich dude who uh babbage and burbage somehow like gave him enough proof that this was what was going on that they dragged him along on the thing it's a lot i think i guess for like enough money if an old man was like you have to find a nap field and you have to have him in your company of boys i'd be like all right (laughs) sure for 80 million dollars sure i will do this i think also probably the thing that would make sense is if that benefactor was shakespeare the whole time and it was like a past lives thing would make more sense oh like resurrection yeah but that's definitely not the path and he was actually gil and then right. Gil and Nat can be together once Nat's legal. <laughs> Something. I don't know. It would. I need a sequel or prequel to this book. <laughs> I do need more explained. I wonder if there is a sequel. Let me look. King of Shadows. Or just from Shakespeare's perspective. Nope. No sequel. Sorry. We'll never know. So many unanswered questions, Susan. Oh, oh well. Well. Also, am I crazy or was there um was there a different there were two characters named Roper. But that I was thought never, it was just the annoying brat kid. Well, there's Roper in the past or in the past, right? Uh-huh. But I believe there's a different character named David Roper who's part of the company of boys. Oh my god, I did not even notice. I'm pretty sure, which I only noticed because I knew a kid named David Roper and like Bottom was being played by a loud boy called David Roper, who was yeah. even more obnoxious than his character. So there's there's David Roper in the past and present, but they're unrelated then that's never addressed. <laughs> Susan, come on. <laughs> What's happening in this book, you guys? <laughs> I have no fucking clue. Uh, I feel like this is one of those like it's a completely different story if you find all of the clues. Yeah, it will. It'll make sense somehow. We will travel through time. Anyway. Oh man, um, do we have segments? We have recommended reading. Oh, we didn't say who we'd recommend this book to at the beginning. Oh yeah, I guess we should talk about that a little bit. Who would you recommend this book to? I mean, I don't think I obviously liked it as a child, mm-hmm. and I think if you are not an adult. Mm-hmm. And don't really understand a lot of the complexities of romance. Maybe sure. you would also enjoy this book a lot as well. Um, I think there's a, there's the time traveling. There is the, like, being the odd one out and just a lot of, like, the theater references. Or I don't know. It's it's a good book for people, like, who would consider themselves bookworms at a young age, I think. Yeah, I think it would be a book, a book, book a good book for future theater nerds in that Mm -hmm. like I don't think that I would recommend it to people who are of an age where they are in high school junior high theater because I think it Mm -hmm. might skew a little too young for them um 
But you know, yeah, if you're this like is definitely like elementary school readers. Yeah, if you're like maybe about to go into junior high, if you're like about to go into junior high, why are you listening to this podcast? We talk about stop, dicks stop. so much. We've, t- we've discussed this at length. Don't get us in trouble. <laughs> but if you know someone who is about to go into like junior high and is like, oh, I want to try out for the play when I get there, like this might be a book that they're into. You yes, know? I agree. Um. But I don't think it's for adults. Oh, I yeah. No, our, no, no. It is our not. Our dirty minds <laughs> ruin it. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so what would you recommend instead then? Okay. So I've got two this week. Um, one of them doesn't really have anything to do with this, but it's just what I've been reading and I wanted to throw it out there. Uh, Go for it. The first book in the Tenseret series by J.Y. Yang, which is The Black Tides of Heaven. Which is like kind of a high fantasy sort of, I guess high spec fic because there's kind of like sci-fi elements getting pulled in. There's this whole thing about like magic versus, I guess, more technology sort of happening. Um, But it's set in this world where there's the protector who's like the sort of empress type figure, empress or queen, who's in charge of everything. And she has a bunch of kids, but... The first book, at least, is focused on the youngest, who is part of a pair of twins as he grows up and kind of like comes to terms with how shitty his mother is and how the system is a mess and how he tries to fix it. And I'm not explaining it Hmm. super well because it is pretty short and I don't want to give away a ton. Um, Right, right, right. But it's It's real intriguing. It's real good. Um, Recommend. That was my number one. My number two I also wanted to shout out was... uh, Just this book reminded me a lot of a book I read a lot as a kid, which was Heir Apparent by Vivian Van Veld, which I feel like I might have sound familiar. I was going to say, I feel like I might have talked about it before, but it's like this book about this girl who gets sucked into a video game and has to play through the video game in order to get out of it. And it's very, but it's like a medieval setting video game. So it's like a lot of the whole temporal fish out of water sort of thing. Um, But it's a lot more focused I feel like than this book in that the main character doesn't want to be stuck in this different time period forever instead of just being like this is fine how about you what have you been reading um well I what I've been reading doesn't really relate cool but I do have some suggestions (laughs) um my first suggestion is a book that I don't remember hardly at all but I liked it at the same time that I liked this book and it was uh, the Shakespeare Steeler series, which is basically about a boy who's hired to go and watch Shakespeare's plays, um, but, like, steal them, essentially, like, writing down the dialogue in a shorthand and stuff. Mm. And then taking it to a rival playwright and then putting on their own version of it. Um, but instead, he kind of gets caught. And instead of revealing who he is, he pretends he wants to work with Shakespeare. So he ends up kind of joining their troop and i think i might have read this as a kid Mm -hmm. yeah i think it was pretty popular i that was what i think reading that book made me go to king of shadows i think Mm -hmm. or vice versa Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um and then also um i read this a few years ago and i don't remember a ton about it but dodger by terry pratchett Mm. which is the story of the street urchin kid named dodger who um becomes involved with a lot of historical figures in 
I think, is this like Victorian era? Yeah, Victorian London, mm-hmm. um, where he meets Charles Dickens and Sweeney Todd and like a bunch of like real and fake um, personalities of the time period. And there's like a political plot going on and he somehow becomes embroiled in it all. And it's typical like Terry Pratchett, a lot of little things happening and just everything comes together at the end, but you can't really explain what happened in the book, (laughs) (laughs) which I really enjoy. Your mileage may vary. And then, yeah, there's another book, but I've already mentioned it on the podcast. so I won't talk about it again. All right. (laughs) That's it for me. (laughs) Um, Okay, cool. So I think that's also it for this book, which brings us to what's up next. Yes. Um, Okay. So here's the situation. Uh, Okay. The next book that we're not including Animorphs, which next week is going to be Animorphs. Um, But the next book that we're doing in our units is uh, the conclusion to our Robinsonade unit in Mm -hmm. which uh, I will be assigning us a book that I think Anna will like that is a part of the Robinsonade genre. I'm on the edge of my seat, Em. What is the book? Here's the thing. I found one that I think you'll like. Because you, we've read the author before, uh-huh, and you also uh-huh. just suggested the author. Um, and I don't know, maybe you've already read this one, but Nation by Terry Pratchett? Oh, you know, I haven't read that one! <laughs> so, the thing is, I think it perfectly fits as a Robinsonate from what yes. I've read. Yes! Um, and I think you'll like it because as far as I know, you've never read a Terry Pratchett book you don't like. Very true. All right. So that will be, uh, the next book that we read, Nation by Terry Pratchett. Or no, sorry. The next book we read is going to be Animorphs, uh, number 15, The Escape. And then the week after that, we'll be doing Nation by Terry Pratchett. Um, we will get back to this unit at some point for our wrap up for it. Um, Elliot very kindly did send us two m- suggestions for it, this book and then also Masquerade by Terry Pratchett. Mm-hmm. We're probably not going to do Masquerade just because <laughs> we're reading another Terry Pratchett already. Um, I think I'll personally go back and read it. I do love that book. Yeah, we might talk about it a little bit. but And that's another thing. I've already read it, so I already right. know I like it. Right. So. Yeah. We're probably going to try to find now that we I feel like this one really kind of helped us solidify what this genre or trope, I guess, is. So I think we're going to try to find one to read on our own that hopefully Elliot will enjoy listening to. Yes. (laughs) And all the rest of you, too. Uh, In the meantime, if you have a unit you would like us to cover or just a book you want us to read, whatever, you can tweet at us at ShelfAwareCast or email us ShelfAwareCast at gmail.com. As always, thank you to Ben Cope for the use of our theme song. You can check out his YouTube channel in our show notes below. And we are also available on all of your favorite podcast aggregating platforms. So if you haven't followed or subscribed to us on one of them, you definitely should. Or else... I'm trying to think of something. That's it, or else. <laughs> no, I'm just vaguely threatening. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you don't follow or subscribe to us, it means that you also think. Nope. Never mind. No, I'm done. don't put I'm that done on. This, don't put that on. I'm done with this them. podcast episode. <laughs> Five star review for us. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>
In the words of Susan Cooper, Eric said, my mom thinks theater's dangerous. My dad had to talk her into letting me come. Gil fingered his beard, looking at him deadpan. She thought her beautiful little boy would get attacked by nasty molesters. Not with that hair, kid. There's some stuff in this book that didn't age well. <laughs> That's it's just like, let's have this pedophile joke in a book where, like, maybe William Shakespeare is a pedophile. <laughs> Pick a lane, Susan. <laughs> and we actually did, because this this uh, book is about the production of specifically Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. And that was my senior uh, play, and I was Titania in that. And I think, as we've mentioned on the podcast before, yes. it's the first time I ever saw you. I think I think we have said that before, but I think it was the second time you saw me. Mm. No, it was the first time. Yeah. You're right. Because I was going to say there was the time that I went up to visit. No, wasn't that the end of my junior year? I think. Okay, this is... I don't remember. <laughs> wasn't there, I believe, and I'm trying to think if the dates would match up. The first time I met you was when I went to uh, the college that you and my brother were at. Um in my, state. yeah right <laughs> uh in my junior year of high school with a bunch of friends and my brother was like oh we're gonna meet up with this friend of mine oh i remember that uh-huh. yes i do remember that uh-huh. and we went i think we went to noodles and company i think so and i think you also like left after like a very short amount of time and it was like kind of awkward because it was like my brother was not saying this is a girl I'm dating or anything. It, it was like, right. yeah, it was like this weird, like, I don't know why I'm meeting this person situation. <laughs> Sounds about right. Um, uh. 